Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Conversations for Life. We're continuing our series today about a redeemed paradigm of marriage, and we're actually ending the, uh, nearing the end of this series, and that's kind of sad because it's been a really interesting discussion for both of us. Mm, yeah, and we hope it has. Yeah, and we hope it's been edifying for you to help you think about men and women in marriage and in the church in a biblical way. Yeah, and uh, we, Kathleen, one of the things that I hope we've been able to make clear is that despite the way that, that some teachers and books and pastors have characterized the marriage relationship uh, in the Bible with focusing on distinctions between men and women regarding submission and authority, that I hope what people have heard from us is that the Bible emphasizes much more the commonality that men and women share as image bearers of God and as redeemed in the image of Christ. And what this means is that whatever paradigm of authority a person wants to ascribe to marriage, whether they're egalitarian or complementarian or whatever they call themselves, um, that if they think that marriage in the Bible is all about submission and authority, they're missing the mark, no matter what mm. their thinking is. Yeah. Um, because um, you know, by defining men and women in marriage with um, with just those very rigid categories, you're missing the way the, the, the way the Bible actually speaks to us mm. as commonly bearing God's image and redeemed in Christ. And, um, and so, you know, overemphasizing that dynamic and making that sort of the only thing you talk about with men and women misses the mark with, about how the Bible addresses us. So perhaps it'd be helpful to flesh this out in some practical ways. So for starters... Um, When it comes to talking about men and women, the Bible sees us united together in the story of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, Mm. which is essentially the overarching narrative of Scripture, and everything else that is in Scripture flows out of this basic structure. So when it comes to the fall, what this means for us in marriage is that the Bible is much more emphatic that human beings are all sinful and in need of God's grace than anything else. So any way we frame the marriage relationship, we need to emphasize this as well. So the husband is a rotten, selfish, self-centered, prideful, (laughs) hurtful, wicked, evil person. Mm. And the wife is a rotten, selfish, self-centered, prideful, hurtful, wicked, evil person. All of the negative marriage dynamics Mm. are rooted in the commonality the husband and wife share that they're both sinners. This means that we should take the Bible's cue that conflict in marriage is much more related to the husband and wife's commonality as sinful people than uh, looking at it through some grid exclusively of authority and power. And Kelly, that matters back to what we were talking about with Genesis 3.16, because when you, even back then, when you set up this paradigm where you know, it, the wife is going to be desiring the husband, and he's going to rule over her, and you teach all that that's all about the wife usurping the husband's authority, then you are implicitly or explicitly really putting the onus on women that, you know, if there's conflict in your marriage, maybe it's because you're trying to usurp your husband's authority. And so what what you're saying is that, look, when we talk about conflict in marriage, that's not rooted in hierarchical structures of authority and submission. It's rooted in the fact that both man and woman are sinners. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's the root of, of, of the sin. 
And, and so what this means, though, for redemption is that the Bible is much more emphatic that Christians are redeemed and sanctified by the grace of God than it is on the distinctions between men and women in marriage. And so the Christian husband is a man who deserves death and hell and condemnation. But he, by, by God's divine mercy and grace, he has instead received life and renewal and fellowship with God. And the Christian wife is a woman who's deserved death and hell and condemnation, but also by divine mercy and grace, she's received life and renewal and fellowship with God. And this means that, that we should take the Bible's cue, Kathleen, that the central dynamic for healthy, vibrant marriage is the dynamic of grace, day-to-day, faithful loving kindness by husband toward wife and wife toward husband. This is the central primary dynamic at work in a healthy Christian marriage. And what this means is that while we can talk about authority and submission, we want to put it in its proper place. It's not the central paradigm of the marriage relationship. Indeed, the commonalities of sin and grace we just talked about, they frame authority and submission And marriage is much more about a mutual paradigm of kindness and love and patience, forgiveness, gentleness, respect, than as a hierarchical relationship where the husband rules and the wife is his submissive subject. Yeah, and as you said last week, when it comes to authority, you know, the Bible primarily associates authority with responsibility. So in saying the man has a primary authority in his marriage and home, this doesn't refer to power. All Christians are called, as we said last week, to exercise power in a way that conforms to redeemed dynamics. And I call that the, the cruciform way, you know, the way that's modeled by the cross. And so the Bible's primary application about authority of the husband is about responsibility, that he is chiefly responsible for the well-being of his family and their spiritual growth and maturation. And uh, you know, this includes, as we said last time, all other aspects of human existence, the emotional, the physical, the relational, and so on. Yeah, right, exactly. And so when wives are called to submit, the paradigm of submission at work is not one of degradation or slavery. This is antithetical to God's character and to righteousness Mm. and to the redeemed dynamics of authority that you just referred to that we were talking about. Um, A wife is told to submit to her husband insofar as he is the spiritual covenantal authority in the home. So God has entrusted this man with a responsibility to lead his family in spiritual and covenantal vitality, Hmm. and the wife is to cooperate with God in this respect by entrusting her husband with this responsibility as well. And it doesn't remove her responsibility in in these tasks. You know, she is very much also um, a part of spiritual and covenantal vitality in the home, very much so. But it means that her responsibility in them falls under the authority of her husband. And the way I, the way that I chiefly think about it is, of course, I mean, husband and wife together are going to be intensely involved um, in the raising their children to know God, to to learn their faith. But you know, it's kind of the the the, the buck stops here kind of mentality with the husband. Mm-hmm. You know, he he is the one just like just like we saw in Genesis three where. You know, when it comes to the health of the family, the marriage, and, and to their desiring to grow to be like Christ, he's the one who's going to be called to account first and foremost. Mm. Um, and Kathleen, one of the things you said that's a single, I think the single biggest piece that's missing from so much of the discussion about authority and submission is that you said, you know, a wife is told to submit to her husband only insofar as he's the spiritual covenantal authority in the home. 
Um, you know, you, you said that God entrusts the man with this responsibility to lead his family in spiritual and covenantal vitality, and the wife is to cooperate with God in this respect by entrusting her husband with mm. this responsibility. Yeah. If you hold to this paradigm about authority in, in submission, well, what we see is that. Uh, well, it helps us see what, what that means and what it doesn't mean. And then, and then then it helps us see how we should apply it practically and then how we shouldn't. Mm, yeah. So as the husband leads in the family, he should be filtering every relationship, every conversation, every event, every conflict, uh, everything through the lens of spiritual and covenantal vitality. And as he does so, he's, of course, seeking constant input from his wife and to a lesser degree from other family members, but the entire purpose, the core framework of his role in the family is to carry out his God-given responsibility to lead his family towards spiritual vitality. Man, Kathleen, and I think it's uh, what you just said is so helpful and, and it's, it really is so vital. Um, so far, we've been highlighting what I think is really two important vital principles that all Christians uh, I think would be helped by as they discuss the, the relationship between men and women in marriage. And the, the first is that we need to frame the relationship between men and women the way the Bible does, yes. um, emphasizing what is common to them as people the way that the Bible does, rather than emphasizing what is in distinction um, and certainly trying to insert some sort of rigid um, hierarchical structure in there. Yeah, we we want to respect the Bible and what the text is saying, what the author and ultimately God is the inspiration of it, the framework that he's giving us. Yeah, amen. And so this means that, you know, in the marriage dynamic, we teach, um, yeah, as you just said, you know, what we teach, it cooperates with what Scripture is saying, and it's not captivated by our own own agenda. And there is, you see that, you know, even some of the stuff I've read about... um, you know, submission authority, part of that is that they're, they're, they're captivated by an agenda of responding to uh, modern Western feminism. And, and you know, by being driven by that agenda, they're distorting what Scripture actually teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is that we need to make sure that we frame the Bible's teaching uh, about the husband's authority and the wife's submission as a spiritual and covenantal responsibility so that we're, we're really ensuring that the family as a whole is existing in a way that encourages and empowers and facilitates each member growing in Christ-likeness and in, the, and in fellowship with God. I think if we start with these two things, then we're really in a fantastic place to then talk about marriage dynamics and family dynamics um, the way the Scripture does. Yeah, and just to add on to what you said about having an agenda, you know, I always say if you're just living as a reaction to something, then you're just as controlled by it as if you're going along with it. So if you're, uh, the way that you interpret the Bible's teaching on women is really just driven by you're trying to defeat feminism, modern feminism and the abuses in there, well then you're just as controlled by um, feminism as anybody right, who's right. You know, marching along. Um, so, yeah, we want to stick to what Scripture is telling us and take that sort of paradigm. And, and what's helpful about that is that we can cooperate with Scripture and give believers the space to apply truth to their own particular situation and needs, to apply biblical truth, unchanging truth, mm. to their particular situation. And that, in this language of paradigms and frameworks um, and, and using wisdom helps us much more than having a rigid system that says, 
you have to do this exact thing like this for all time. And you know, Kathleen, if anyone thinks that this is opening the door to believers making wrong decisions or living in unbiblical ways, well, let me just say that this is exactly how the Bible really encourages us to apply God's Word. That wisdom is knowing how to apply biblical principles and the revelation of God's will in Scripture to specific situations. Because sometimes these folks, when they talk about the the ones who really emphasize submission and authority, they get so rigid and specific and they talk about, you know, whether or not a woman can work out or not, or whether or not, you know, a woman or a man should do this or that. And they get so focused in these little specific things because they're locked into this grid. And Scripture doesn't speak to us that way. There are black and white, and then there's also a lot of room for nuance where wisdom comes in. And so, you know, when we talk about uh, Scripture speaking in, in terms of paradigm and framework, um, you know, we're helping people re- recognize that there's, there's, there's a guiding light the Scripture gives us that then helps us in each specific situation know how to apply it. And with this, of course, as we stick to the core concept of spiritual and covenantal vitality, it helps us see some things that are black and white. There's a very clear distinction between what is right and what is wrong, and some things that are nuanced, and they require prayer and counsel from our brothers and sisters in faith and guidance from trusted leadership in the church. Mm. Yeah, Kathleen, so for example, you know, a black and white issue is that, you know, if the marriage issue is suffering... Uh, who's the one that God holds primarily responsible for doing everything possible to improve it or heal it or restore it? Well, it's the husband. You know, that's clear in Scripture. That It's not saying that, of course, the wife has responsibility as well, but the initiator, the one who God's going to hold to account in a way, is the man. What is he doing to, to, to work to bring about vitality in his marriage and to heal and restore things. But then a nuance issue would be, you know, whether a husband and wife both work and where they work and what they do. And then, of course, the responsibilities that come with work. Yeah, and the, that issue you brought up, Jonathan, it's a great illustration of how we need to be careful as Christians today in being overly rigid by turning a nuanced issue into this really uh, strict, rigid prescription um, so we live in a time that's culturally very different from the time of the writing of all the different sections of Scripture, which themselves were written over the course of about a millennium and a half. So yeah. it takes wisdom and prayer and guidance to decide how to apply scriptural, princ- scriptural principles and God's revealed will to our daily lives and choices now. Hmm. Um, Because obviously the Bible is not written as a how-to book that gives every detail about each person's life. Um, So in the example you gave about work, you know, most women in biblical times worked all the time in the sense that maintaining a household involved countless hours of hard labor. Hmm. And it meant that the woman was inherently involved in the economic life of the home. And even today, all women work. Homemakers who stay at home are working every bit as much as everyone else. Um, God doesn't define work as that which is done to earn money in a capitalistic system. Hmm. So God defines work as all the labor a human being does in life. And to the degree that a person is engaged in some kind of labor, he or she is working regardless of how it fits into a particular economic system. Man, that's awesome. You just blew up my own thinking, Kathleen. (laughs) I mean, because it's just so easy for us, I think, to, uh, you know, without even thinking about it, just put, you know, our own context into the Bible. And then out of that, we get all these kind of wacky ideas, you know, and it can make a big difference in my life and anyone's life when we do that. Um, 
And it just shows how quickly we run into the falsehoods and how we create trouble for ourselves whenever we're trying to frame, um, at least with this thing, you know, whenever we're, we're talking about the, the, the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, whenever we're trying to frame it outside the biblical framework, as we just talked about, you just run into all kinds of trouble. And so those who say that the Bible teaches that a woman shouldn't work outside the home, they're, what they're doing is they're equating a modern, Western, industrialized, capitalistic definition of work with the Bible's. You know, where a woman is in, 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 wherever a woman is engaged in her labor or wherever a man's engaged in, in his labor, it doesn't determine whether or not that he or she is working. Being engaged in labor itself is the biblical definition of work. And, and the simple fact is that industrialization has really altered what human labor for both men and women looks like. For men, too. We, should, we can't forget that. Um, and so we have to exercise a lot of caution and discernment about what it does look like to apply God's truth to our life and our situation. Right. And biblically speaking, um, the Bible portrays women as doing their work in all kinds of different ways, and it's portrayed very positively. So, yeah, you know, of course. Yeah. It's not even like the Bible is saying women can't work and we're just you know, getting confused about what work means. Um, I think the Bible actually even, uh, some of the prophets even escorted some of the women in Israel who just lie, you know, lay around and just eat grapes and on right. their bed. So, you right, know. Right, yes. So again, we want to filter um, questions about day-to-day life through this lens of the purpose of marriage and family being spiritual and covenantal vitality. Mm. And as we said, the husband is has the chief responsibility to initiate and carry that out. And if we do so, I think that we arrive at a very subversive, non-world conforming life um, that God has intended for us. Man, I love that. We, we arrive at a subversive, non-world conforming life that God has intended for us. Man, just to think about marriage and family as being subversive and non-world conforming. It's just, it's an awesome picture. Um, and Kathleen, I think it would be really helpful at this point to apply what we've been talking about here about a paradigm and framework to a couple of major areas that, that do relate to marriage and family. Um, you know, we talked about one with regard to work, but there's other ones too, and we're not going to get to cover everything. But um, you know, maybe uh, just talk about a few of those, and, and folks can help yeah. kind of see what we mean. Yeah. Well, one of the areas we already highlighted was uh, marital health. So we said that because the husband has chief responsibility over the spiritual and covenantal vitality of his family, this means he's the one first and foremost responsible for the health of his marriage. This means that in God's eyes, the health of a marriage is a critical responsibility of the husband. Mm. So he should be the leader in initiating with his wife practical habits and actions, behaviors and attitudes that are going to lead toward marriage vitality. Um, it certainly means that unlike Adam in the garden, when there's a problem, he's not going to resort to blaming his wife, even though in his sin, he might want to do so, or it might Mm. seem uh, like she is to blame. It means he's going to own whatever problems there are and try to work with his wife to bring reconciliation, healing, renewal, and growth. Yeah. As I said, you know, kind of, I think the attitude of a husband is the buck stops here. That no matter what the specific issue is in marriage, you always take on responsibility for seeking to to address it. And um, Kathleen, I, I really wonder, you know, has there ever been a sermon about the husband's authority that that held out, you know, as a core application, the health and vitality of his marriage? Um, you know, that that if they ever took it that way as opposed to other ways. Um, I'm sure there has been, but I, I, you know, I haven't heard one. 
But, but just, you know, husbands, you know, if you're listening, you bear spiritual and covenantal authority in your home for a reason, and that's to bring about spiritual uh, vitality for uh, your wife um, and your children. And, you know, you are the one, you have this authority, there's this responsibility to ensure that your marriage is moving increasingly toward the kind of marriage that honors God, that conforms to His will, that brings life into the home. Um, this is a primary responsibility that God has given you in your life, and He's going to hold you account for this. You know, any any shortcomings in your marriage, just like when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God's going to come to you first and foremost, and doesn't negate what Eve did or what your wife does if she's engaged in sin. Just like you know, everyone's held accountable on an individual level in that regard. But in the marriage, that God's going to talk to you about it, and it's you know, it's not that God. Is going to, like I said, you know, negate what your wife has done, but he's going to ask you, what have you uh, been doing as her husband or, or in your marriage? How have you been pursuing vitality? And I think we need to recognize that we bear that chief responsibility. And, um, you know, it, it means that whatever we might think of as domestic spheres of life, that God is going to hold the man chiefly accountable. I just think that's fascinating, Kathleen. I don't know about you, yeah. but it's it's yeah. kind of a paradigm shift for me to really to really recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the key takeaways from this is that a core task of a husband and father is the home, leading his family toward Christ likeness and spiritual vitality. I just I really wonder how our estimation of men in the church would change, Kathleen, if we evaluated men based on this criteria rather than their job title or their salary. Yeah. You know, how many men are actively engaging with their wife and children in their spiritual growth? How many men are sitting down regularly with their wife uh, or their kids to talk about spiritual things? How many men are doing it with their with um um you know on a on a regular basis, you know, not just one off one once here, once there, but as a core paradigm of their fatherhood and their 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 being a husband. Um, how many of them see this as a crucial role for them? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the world does not see that as a crucial role, and there's right. no, um, like, earthly rewards. I mean, there's there's all kinds of relational rewards inherent in, in pursuing your marriage and your children, but mm. there's nothing flashy or showy that the world gives you when you do that. And, in fact, you have to uh, make sacrifices in the world in order to have time to pursue... Uh, vitality in your marriage and in your family. So, which gets to the you know people talk about being the what's that phrase for the women being the all, everything woman or what is that phrase? You know the woman who, who can do it all. Oh well, just like having it all. Yeah, yeah, have it all. You know, it's like for men too. You can't have it all. Oh yeah. It's just that so often people That's what even, I always say people don't think people assume that women are going to care about the home and the kids, mm-hmm. but. You know, as a husband, you can't have it all either. You know, you can't have the, the, you know, job that you're going to travel 80 hours, whatever. I mean, you don't want to put, you know, it's, it's, everyone's different, but it's, you can't have it all. Right. You got to prioritize. I'm not saying there's a certain number of hours a week you need to work or not work, but. But there's a paradigm that controls what you, decisions you make. Are you pursuing uh, spiritual vitality in your home? Are you leading the way as the husband? And yeah, there's certain choices you really can't make and, yeah. and still be doing that. You know, and you might that's be something f- you have to figure out with wisdom and with you know, what God, how the Holy Spirit leads you and how the counsel of others in your church and your community help you. And you, know, you might, I mean, 
the world's a rough place, so you might have to do a job that just stinks. Right. That hours stink or travel stinks, and and but your goal is to get out of that at some point, and, and as God allows, so that you can pursue more time with with you know being with your wife and kids and focusing on that spiritual vitality and nourishment. Right, and I, I love what you said about having it all because in all this discussion lately about women having it all, no one talks about the fact that men can't have it all either. You know, no one can. We're we're limited, finite human beings. And as Christians, having it all is not our goal. That's not what we're supposed to be pursuing. We're not supposed to be sitting here thinking, can I have everything I want? You know, is my life going to reflect all of my dreams and all of my whims and greed? You know, that's that's not what we're called to do. We're called to die to self. And so um, there is incredible joy and I think the greatest rewards that you can have on earth in um, pursuing your marriage and pursuing your children and pursuing a real relationship and, and a, a spiritual um, relationship. But you're, you're not going to have it all in the sense that the world is suggesting you should. So, hmm. yeah. So, um, and I think this is where we see the importance of framing the conversation about men and women and authority the way the Bible does. If, if we do it, if we follow the Bible's framework, we don't end up getting distracted by fruitless dead ends and meaningless controversy. We get to the issues that really matter. Hmm. Um, and, and another practical application is that the husband should be doing everything in his power to see his wife flourish in all of her unique image-bearing capacities. So her flourishing is one of his core God-given labors. And mm. the wife should be doing the same for her husband, of course. Um, but I think given history, given our fallen paradigms about marriage, and, and just given how much we already talk about how women should want to help their husband be flourishing, that's kind of like a, a thing in some of these circles. You right, know, like, right. I mean, sometimes people go so far as to even suggest that a woman's entire existence and purpose and meaning in life is helping men flourish. and. A lot of them do, actually. It's kind of shocking. Right. And so um, that's certainly a good thing to help your husband flourish, but it is not the sum total of womanhood or femininity or being a wife. Um, so that, that is, it is true that women, uh, that wives want to see their husbands flourishing in their core, you know, and in who they are as, um, as followers of Christ. But as I said, you know, we, we want to emphasize the husband's responsibility to do this for mm. his wife because that's not emphasized as much. It's not talked about as much. So as much as it depends on him, um, as, as much as he has a role in that, a place in doing that, he wants her to be flourishing as a child of God, as um, a wife, as a mother, as a homemaker, or as a in her career, as a friend and a sister and a, and a member of the church and of the community, all these different ways. Kathleen, you know what you just said. I just I feel like that should be a banner that we should have a T-shirt made for men. That say, you know, um, you, you said something like um, one of his core labors should be that yeah, it would, yeah, her flourishing is one of his core God-given labors. Men, you know, men men love to work, right? We talk about we talk about us being workaholics. Yeah, yeah. How many men think about being workaholics about seeing their wife and kids flourish? You know. Well, and in that sense too, it almost um, I, I like what you just said because. It encourages, I mean, I think men are very like, they're driven by a challenge, right? They're driven by a challenge, by a goal, by some big 
meaningful, overarching thing that they're meant to be doing in life. Um, men need purpose. I mean, women do too, but men especially need purpose. And so I think instead of, you know, framing marriage as like, oh, we're just going to sit around and talk or something. You like, yeah. you can get kind of these kind of wishy-washy pictures of this, but to think of it as um, your labor is going toward, your challenge is the flourishing of your wife. And that requires doing things that maybe uh, put you outside of your comfort zone. Maybe, you know, you ought, maybe some husbands are really great at sitting and talking and some aren't. And hmm. there's much, much more to marriage besides just that. But I like that idea of framing one well, of your um, core labors of life. Yeah. Is, and of course, you know, it gets into um, Ephesians when Paul says, he calls husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. I mean, that's exactly what that paradigm is all about. He dies, Christ, even today, he died for us that we might live, and he lives mm. today that we might flourish. Yeah. And he intercedes for us. And so to think about, and we'll be talking more about that specific uh, passage next week, but that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's exactly where this paradigm comes from, you know, right. for, for the husband to, yeah. to think about this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Kathleen, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know how far I fall short of this paradigm. Um, and I know every other husband out there says, man, I, I know how far I, I, I fall short too. Um, so you know, the point is not that we're doing this to earn approval from God or to check off a box or for any other reason. We're doing it because uh, deep down inside, we're compelled to by the Holy Spirit inside of us to seek the good of our wife and our, and our children. I mean, I think that a, a, a Christian man, a converted man with the Holy Spirit is going to be compelled to do this. Um, it's hard to imagine, for me, a growing, spiritually maturing man not feeling this deep burden to see his wife and his kids flourishing in Christ. And it's going to look different for everyone based on time and place and personality and culture and all the other things, but I still think that should be evident in all marriages that are operating out of a redeemed dynamic. Yeah, and something we haven't mentioned yet is that in a redeemed marriage, marriage itself is going to be important to both the husband and the wife. Mm. And this is probably the most foundational practical application of the paradigm of a redeemed marriage. Um, A husband and wife who've been redeemed, they've been redeemed by a God who came to earth, dwelled as one of us, died on the cross, and was resurrected three days later, all in fulfillment of God's covenantal promises to Adam and Eve in creation. Um, we don't know God if we don't know him as the God who keeps his word, Mm. the God who's faithful, the covenant-keeping God. The covenant relationship is central to God's creative and redemptive will for human beings. So anyone who's been saved by Christ, who's been given grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit, is someone who should inherently care very much for the one central relationship we have that expresses God's covenantal nature and promises with us, which is the marriage relationship, as you mm. just mentioned, as you just mentioned, um, and this is why Paul compares the relationship between the husband and wife to the relationship between Christ and His bride, the Church, mm. um, because the relationship between Christ and the Church is a covenantal relationship, just as the relationship between a husband and wife is a covenantal relationship. This um, it, it means lots of things, but the most basic implication is that believers should consider their marriage to be very important and a central part of their lives. Um, and uh, one of the primary ways that you can honor and serve God if you're married is by doing the work it takes to grow in that marriage relationship. Man, and this is this is yeah, like you said this is probably the most fundamental practical application is that you should care about your marriage. 
I mean, it sounds like a, like a kind of a well, duh statement, but if you think about it, we are constantly told to put our marriage aside. You know, whether it's because, you know, whether it's, it's, it's by the assumption that, oh, we'll just figure marriage out. You know, you get through, you throw two people together, maybe they start living together, you know, uh, if, they, if they're not believers, whatever, then they kind of stumble into marriage and they sort of stumble through this whole, this whole thing. But, but the point is, like, marriage itself, that whole relationship is, is, is the one primary way that we experience and express um, the covenantal nature of God's relationship with us in, in human terms. And, and this is really one of the, I think if you care about your marriage, it is one of the most radical and subversive aspects of redeemed marriage. Think about that. Just caring about your mess, uh, your, your, your marriage is a radically subversive way to live. Mm. Think yeah. about it. I mean, it's a, it's truly is. And it means that the husband and the wife, you're going to, as we talked about the, a few minutes ago with work, you know, you're going to continually make choices that are going to prioritize your marriage over other things. And just, just if you think a few, here's only a couple of things I can think of, but one is that, you know, um, when it comes to career choices, you're going to be thoughtful and intentional to make sure that you're not jeopardizing the, the time, the responsibilities that you that are just required for maintaining a marriage. You know, you're going to do your best to, to really prioritize your marriage. And that means maybe saying no to a promotion, which sounds crazy to some people. Saying no, you know, to a job raise or whatever, because you know, well, that's going to take me, you know, I, I can't do that and be married to my wife. Um, you know, but then it also means um, uh, the spouses, are, they're, they're going to reject ideas and habits and, and lifestyle patterns that will threaten their marriage relationship. I mean, even ones that are, that are like, you know, in our culture would be perfectly fine to do or that, that maybe even help us feel personally safe. You know, a common one is is kids. Uh, a, a very typical way that that, that married people essentially um, throw their marriage aside is when marriages have trouble or when there's it's not going well. Um, one or the other spouse or both will just focus on the kids. And you know, the one of the typical ways you see it happen is you have an absentee husband who's working all the time. You know, and and the mom compensates, the wife compensates by basically pouring all of her time and energy into her kids. And that works as long as you have kids in the home, at least functionally speaking and culturally speaking. But then, um, of course, it doesn't work later on. But, but from a biblical perspective, God's not okay with that. God isn't okay with that. That's how it's subversive. That's how it's, you know, when you get the biblical paradigm in your mind and, in your, and it begins to operate in your marriage, it, what, 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 what comes to the most basic foundational principle is that God cares about your marriage more than your job title, more than the house you live in, more than almost anything else in your life. Mm. He cares about your marriage. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about what the marriage reflects really puts that into context. Yeah. Um, and of course, marriage is not always easy and it's never perfect. And all spouses go through times mm. of conflict and frustration, hurt. What we're saying is that in a redeemed dynamic of marriage, a top priority for both husband and wife is that we seek to emulate the radical love, presence, and faithfulness God has shown us in our relationship with Him. We, uh, we reflect that in our relationship with one another. Mm. So we want to see our marriage look more and more like Christ's relationship to us. And though we fall far short, we still experience immense blessing and joy as we do this over time. Um, and, you know, we could say so much more, but um, a husband and a wife, out of concern for their marriage, will also recognize their own personal sin and the general sinfulness of the world. And they'll recognize that this is a threat to 
themselves, their spouse, their children, and their marriage. And so anyone who cares about their marriage will also care about their sin and hate Mm. it. And um, they'll do everything they can to kill it before it kills not only them, but kills their marriage. And so genuine repentance, grace, accountability, and growth are going to be at the heart of a redeemed marriage. Yeah, and I mean that the last one is is of course, you know, covers a massive amount of day to day life. Right. Um, whether it's what you're watching on TV, whether it's um, you know how you're interacting together. I mean, there's just so many things when you think about it. You know, when you get married, Catherine, we actually talked about this when we got newly married. It's kind of a scary thing hmm. because not only not only does your sin now affect you, it affects yeah. the one you love. You know, now you're bringing them along with you in your sin, and that's that's a really powerful thing to realize. Mm. And, and so, all of a sudden, the stakes get much higher. Yeah. Um, which I mean, of course, sin is sin, and you know, destroying yourself in sin is a really bad way to go, obviously. But now the stakes are so much more high, so much higher, because now your wife and your kids, or your husband, depending on on as the case may be. Are, are now being dragged along with your sin. And so um, anyone who cares about their marriage is going to want to kill sin. And mm-hmm. so their own personal growth, their own spiritual uh, desires to grow spiritually and, and to be sanctified are going to be partly driven by the desire to see their marriage flourish. Oh, man. Um, but, you know, Kathleen, this has been really good. I know we're about out of time. Um, folks, thank you so much for listening today. We hope that you've been blessed by this conversation. We'd love to hear your your comments. Feel free to reach out to us at reachout at crosslifetoday.org. That's our email address. If you want to contact us with any questions or comments, reach out at crosslifetoday.org. We also have a website, uh, www.crosslifetoday.org, where you can go there. We have a comment section you can fill in, and we have lots of other episodes. If you're just listening in for the first time and you're curious what we've been talking about, this is about the seventh or eighth we've done on marriage recently and talking about men and women. So you can go back and get caught up on those. Uh, We are a listener-supported ministry, so if you've really enjoyed and been blessed by this podcast, We'd love love for you to go to our website and and maybe make a small donation or a regular donation. And uh, thank you so much, Kathleen, for talking with me today. It's been fantastic. And folks, wherever you are out there, we wish you all the best. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye.